good morning. Uh, Drew's already mentioned, my name's Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are back today starting in our series in Matthew. We've been out for the past six weeks or so on a series on leadership, where we've been talking about the need for leadership, what leadership looks like in the church, and so forth. And I would remind all of you, tomorrow and the following Monday the 27th are are days of fasting and prayer. Uh, If you're a member, you should have received some nomination forms in the mail. Uh, We really do ask that you would be in prayer uh, and and go without something for the day. Uh, It doesn't have to be food. Probably won't be for me. Um, But I'll find something to go without uh, in order that I can focus a little bit more on the task before us. So I just remind you of that. But as far as Sunday mornings go, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, You should have received a worship folder when you came in. And on one side is the passage for the teaching today, and on the other side is the outline. So you can follow along using that. Uh, There are Bibles in the pew. If you brought one from home, you're welcome to use that, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in Matthew 13, uh, picking up once again in our series on Matthew. So... Let me start at verse 10 and read through verse 17. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is God's word. Normally we pray at the close of the sermon. Uh, I feel compelled today to pray at the beginning and the end. So join me in prayer briefly. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that can be taught that we might, as you tell us, turn and be healed. I pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, So as I said, we're back in a series on Matthew here. And we've kind of jumped around in Matthew because we've done various mini-series. We've done a series on discipleship. We've done a series on this, series on that, Sermon on the Mount, and so forth. And today we're going to start a 10-week series on the parables of Jesus that will take us right up to Advent, uh, so right before Christmas. And Matthew's major th- one of Matthew's major themes, let's say, throughout his book has been that of kingdom. We've seen how he's pointing us to Jesus coming as a signpost that the kingdom has arrived. And so Jesus is teaching us what it's like to live in his kingdom. He's healing and he's restoring the brokenness of the physical world. He's preaching the good news. He's doing all of that. But what you might not have noticed is that there's an increasing opposition to Jesus from the religious establishment, particularly if you look back in chapters 11 and 12. The Jewish leaders, uh, 
don't appreciate Jesus' words about his coming. Uh, and in fact, Jesus' words that he came to bring division, he came to bring a sword, are being fulfilled right before your eyes as you read through the gospel. In fact, the opposition is really epitomized in chapter 12. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And Matthew says, but the Pharisees, as a result, went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So clearly, he's really beginning to dividing, or beginning to divide groups of people. And part of Matthew's intent, as we come to chapter 13, and beyond, really, is to show us Jesus is using parables to teach us. And it's a further illustration of the growing division that you see. Some understand him, and for others, he simply doesn't make any sense. He talks, and people kind of give the, huh? Over and over. Chapter 13 really is is something of a pivot point in the gospel because we'll start to see Jesus focus more on Gentiles in his teaching. You see him less in the synagogues, more out in public. And up to this point, there aren't any parables in Jesus' teaching according to Matthew. In chapter 13 and beyond, it becomes a frequent teaching tool of Jesus'. So the question is, why? And the short answer is, the nature of Jesus' kingdom can only be understood with, as we've mentioned before uh, this morning, eyes and ears of faith. Eyes to see, ears to hear. And if Jesus is using parables to talk about the kingdom, then only those with eyes and ears of faith will understand. So on the one hand, he's revealing something very beautiful and very glorious. And on the other hand, he's concealing the very same thing. And my, my prayer for us today, my hope in the coming weeks, is that this question will get answered in greater detail uh, next week you're going to uh, have or see Drew come back to chapter 13, verse 1, go through the parable of the sower and then the explanation that follows. But we're starting with this passage because it really does get after the question of why. And you're going to see Jesus' own answer to this question this morning and are hoping to uh, make sense of it. So if you look at the outline, you'll see three points that we're going to work through. First is making sense of the parables. Uh, what are they? What's their purpose? Secondly, the secrets of the kingdom. That is, what are they? why are they so hard to understand? Some of these parables you read, and we've got to be honest, we, we read them, and we read them again, and some of us have read them numerous times, and they don't really click, or we think we might know a little bit of what they're talking about, but not all of it. There's a reason for that. And then finally, how do we make sense of them? How do we get the eyes that see and the ears that hear Uh, that Jesus says in verse 16, are blessed if they do come to understand. How does that happen? So those three things. First, making sense of the parables. What what are they? Well, part of the reason why the parables are often minimized or even skimmed over is that we don't understand them. That is largely due to our westernized worldview. You see, in the West, truth and teaching is almost always done through reasoning. Truth, especially about God and faith, is explained through concepts, conceptual facts, logical statements. If someone is speaking in metaphor or allegory or story, then they're seen at least as a little bit suspect. We, we, we appreciate that, but eventually we want them to get to the real stuff, you know, the truth, the, con- the concepts, the facts. We're much more comfortable with those things. For example, if all I did this morning was to give you some introductory comments about parables... And then I told you a parable, and then I prayed, and then I sat down. You'd all feel a little cheated. I mean, let's be honest. Aren't you going to explain it? 
Well, Jesus explained a few of his parables, but far more of his parables he didn't explain. He would he'd be asked a question, he would give a parable, or he might just use a parable in a teaching, and then he'd move on. So, in typical Western fashion, I'm going to give you some concepts to explain a parable, okay? Um, it might be a story or a metaphor or a simile. It's usually an appeal from what people know in the realm of ordinary life, a sower sowing seed, to truths or realities about the spiritual life. And you hear that in the explanation that follows. Some have called it an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, parables aren't told necessarily for the details. They're almost, is always a big idea that they want to explain. And one scholar puts it this way. Jesus' parables were designed to make one stabbing truth flesh out at a man the moment he heard it. That's what they're after. But my favorite explanation of what a parable is, is actually a simile that's used by another scholar who actually grew up in the Middle East. Kenneth Bailey, he describes a parable like this. A parable is like a house in which the listener or the reader is invited to take up residence. Once they enter into the story and take up residence, the parable urges them to look at the world through the windows of that house. That's cool. It's a simile. It's not necessarily uh, conceptual, but I hope it does get at what we're talking about. It's also why it's so crucial for us to understand the cultural background of the parables. It's how you step into the house, so to speak. You've, you've got to know what the cultural context that Jesus is using, Jesus is speaking from, and you will be able to better understand the nature of the kingdom. These are illustrations of the kingdom. But unfortunately, we've got to go further than that because it's not just one thing to get a general idea of what the parables are, but why are they so hard to understand? Many of them. Well, a couple of reasons for this. First, their difficulty in being understood is their subject matter. Because they're almost always about the kingdom of God. Jesus will say, the kingdom of God can be compared to, or the kingdom of God is like. So someone asks him a question and he says, well, you know, it's like a sower who goes out and sows seed. You can see why, uh, at the other end of that, the disciples even are kind of like, huh? I don't get that. What are you talking about? And you'll see more and more of these uh, as we move through the series. They're amazing. They're phenomenal. They're great stories. But at, on the other side of them, we're, we're often left with a lot of mystery. And that's the point. The parables are evidence of the kingdom's mysterious nature. You see, Jesus coming, his life and his mission are a testimony to the kingdom's presence. It's here, but it's not completely here. Right? For example, the church is growing. Churches are being planted all over the world, and yet there's still wars, there's still broken families, and people still steal things. So the kingdom's here, there are signs of it, but it's not fully here yet. And the people in Jesus' day, they were very confused. John the Baptist, in Matthew chapter 11, he sends disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one, are you really the guy, are you really him, the Messiah, or should we look for somebody else? John's kind of going, where's the great world-shaking cataclysm that the prophets foretold? Where, where, where's the day of the Lord? Where's the doom? Where's the terror? And part of that is John, you know, is thinking back to his ministry when he's baptizing people, and he's kind of scaring people to death. Fire and brimstone. You need to repent. Repent. And here comes Jesus on the scene, and yet it's not happening 
like John's expecting. But Jesus says in his response to John's disciples, he says, go and tell John, the lame are walking, the good news is being preached, the deaf are hearing, and so forth. He's saying the kingdom is here, John. But the Jews were expecting something very different. And through the parables, Jesus is deliberately revealing something significant. He says the kingdom has in fact entered into the world in advance, in a hidden form, to work secretly among men. Did you get that? The, the kingdom has come in advance, but it's, it's a hidden form, it's secret. What's the implication of the word secret? Well, uh, you might remember a few years Amen. ago. We, uh, we don't. Book, if you're from a DVD, church background, uh, I think Oprah was uh, selling you know, it, what the touting it, something was. We don't it, do an, We don't do anything. It's called the secret. An invitation time. However, we no do try to offer times of response. And so, you think with a title like that, uh, everybody would be buying Matthew 13 this morning. Uh, we're just going to sing this song over you. It's a new song to our congregation. Well, I, so I don't really don't care it. because, and so we just we just the secret of this matters far more than the secret of. The words Whoever like the sing along person was that wrote that, but just as a just as a the implication of the word secret, we all realize is to uh, be not in the know. Together. I it's, need the every it's the fact some know the secret, some get it, and others don't. That's one of the issues in reading and trying to understand the parables. The question becomes: Why is God keeping it a secret? Is he is he hiding something? Is he hiding on purpose? And if so, why? Well, the present form of Jesus' kingdom is a hidden form. You can see it in the parable, but make no mistake. Let me, let me put this out there. Let me warn you with this. Make no mistake. It might be in a hidden form now. But a future form of Jesus' coming, or excuse me, Jesus' kingdom is one that won't be hidden. And it will mean life and glory for some. And it will mean death and judgment. So, the first reason why the kingdom is hard to understand, why the parables are difficult, because they're about the kingdom of God. But not only that, the second reason, or another reason, is in understanding the parables, they have a twofold effect, and this is related to the first In the parables, the kingdom is being revealed to some, and it's being revealed to others. Now let me explain. Jesus is going to it's a very radical thing. All discipleship is to forsake your old way. For those who refuse his way, the teaching in parables is a judgment. For those who follow him, the teaching in parables is a light. It reveals
Isaiah is fulfilled. What does he say is the cause of their blindness and deafness? Verse 15. Because before this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely, excuse me, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. They see but don't really see. The reason they hear but don't really hear is because their heart has grown dull, calloused. Stand with us and let's and sing together. More on that. To Wonderful, come. merciful Savior. But I want you to see that it, it's not as though he's doing it just some sort of uh, sick joke. Ha! Wonderful, merciful Savior. Sing this out. Precious Redeemer and Friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Offer this as your response this morning, listening counselor. So we hunger for a heart, oh, a 
hymn that many of you know, Amazing Grace, says it like this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What was the cause of that? The amazing grace of God. Grace is the reason. It's not the result. Not as though you work really hard, and then as a result of working really hard, God decides to shower some grace on you. It's a kingdom manifesto, so to speak. It's, it's what it's like to be a citizen of God's kingdom. It's a description of that. We've got to relearn how to live. Not as citizens of the world's kingdom, but of God's. And to do that, you've got to get new ears. You've got to get new eyes. But make no mistake, you cannot hear His call. You won't hear His call. You can't see His kingdom. You will not understand grace without a new birth. Without His grace. It is a supernatural, sovereign act of God that has to work in your heart and my heart. But where do you start? How can you know? How can you know if you have eyes to see and ears to hear? What's the state of your heart? Hopefully some of you are sitting here listening, maybe wondering. What is the state of my heart? Do I get it? And here's the key. Jesus says, only those who become like children, who humble themselves, are going to make sense of the nature of the kingdom and the parables as a result. The starting point for kingdom citizenship is all the way back in Matthew 5, verse 3. How does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes? How does he start the Beatitudes? Whose is the kingdom of heaven? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the starting point for us is, have we humbled ourselves and become like little children? Have we embraced a poverty of spirit? Are you willing to say, I don't have it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. The way of success in climbing the ladder in our culture is a complete opposite. It's getting all the necessary tools to be able to say, I've got it, I understand it, I get that. And then we begin to move forward. The nature of God's kingdom is completely backward of that. And that's the reason Jesus' kingdom is secret. It's because of its nature. It's a kingdom where poverty of spirit, meekness, peacemaking, and purity of heart are all valued. These values are the opposite of our culture's values. Our culture values things like power, influence, strength, self-sufficiency. To be in the know in our culture, you've got to have something first 
got to have knowledge. you got to have the right connections. you got to have the right amount of money or the like. And to be in the know in Jesus' kingdom, you've got to become like a child and admit, I have nothing to offer. Again, the old hymn writer, Rock of Ages, he begins one of the verses, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's, that's all I can do. That's poverty of spirit. But let me say this. It's a sobering truth, but it is the truth. God won't reveal himself or his kingdom to you unless you do this. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things, that is, the nature of the kingdom. This is after John's disciples come to him and they're confused. And he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He gets to the end of that chapter and he says, Father, thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It was pleasing to you to do that. That's what gives you joy, is to reveal your kingdom to those who, like children, trust you and are readily admitting their inability. If you're here, week in, week out, you're hearing the announcements of Jesus' kingdom, you're hearing the very words of God proclaimed, spoken, then it could be your heart has become calloused if you remain unchanged, if your heart is unmoved by these things. Maybe it is. Your heart has become enveloped in a layer of dead skin. That's what a callous is, after all. This passage warns us that the callousness of our hearts results in judgment. We hear, but we don't really understand. We see, we don't really perceive. And all that say, as a warning to you and myself, watch your heart, examine your heart. Look after it. Where are you on this continuum? The world doesn't make sense of Jesus because so much of the nature of the kingdom of God is tied to the nature of the king. Jesus Christ is the only king who doesn't kill his enemies. He's killed for them. He he doesn't rule to be served. He rules by being a servant. He's unlike any king that you and I could ever imagine. And he promises, if you will bow to him... He will not drain life from you. He'll plant new life in you. And he says that's life to the fullest. That's true life. That's abundant life. You get that. But only if you, as the prophecy of Isaiah says, at the very end of verse 15, turn. Our call is to turn. The other word for that is repent. Become like a child. Humble yourself. Admit that you don't know, that you don't get it. And what will happen? What does God promise? I'll heal them. I'll heal you. Uh, I want to close by reading to you uh, a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it, it is an amazing illustration of this uh, from the Apostle Paul. It's... Paul's words uh, speaking about the effect of what has happened. This, of course, is after Jesus has uh, died and been raised and ascended back to the Father. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 18, just listen to this. 
He says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. My question to you as we close is, where is your boast? Uh, Where is, or what is, the state of your heart? Is it trying really hard to make sense of everything, to get it, to accomplish whatever it is, going to the next level? making yourself look good, trying to build a resume, spiritual or otherwise, so that maybe at the end of it all, you'll get accepted. Maybe God will be pleased. Or is the state of your heart like that of a little child? Have you humbled yourself? Have you embraced all of the ways in which you are weak and foolish and don't get it? Because God's promise is, if we come to Him like that, then He will heal us. He will give us new hearts. He will give us new eyes, new ears. And we will be able to understand. Let's pray to that end this morning, that He would do that, that He would work that in us uh, today and in the coming weeks. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that as we in the coming weeks, hear more and more of the parables of your kingdom. As we hear more and more uh, in the coming weeks, illustrations of your, your kingdom, what it's like, its, it's nature, uh, the, way that it, the way that it moves, the way that it grows, all those kinds of things. We pray uh, that we would readily, as we, as we listen, as we read, embrace our own helplessness, our own lack of understanding, our own weakness, that we would humble ourselves like children who you call the greatest in your kingdom. And we would come to you and we would say, as we're fixing to sing, I I need you, Lord. Bless me now. I I come to you, as we sang earlier, out out of arrogant pride, out of the despair of life, we come to you. I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear by your Spirit. I pray that you would uh, tear us down out of our pride, humble us, make us like children, 
and reveal your secrets to us that we in turn might share them with the world for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Whatever awaits you today, this afternoon, tomorrow, uh, whatever you're leaving this place for, uh, the good news of the benediction is that he goes with you. Uh, The call to embrace poverty of spirit, to humble yourself, to become like a child, not an easy call. Uh, But the promise of this benediction is he goes with us to equip us as we go, uh, to participate in his mission, and to live as he demands of us. So receive this benediction. May it be a blessing uh, and a promise of his presence to go with you as you leave this place. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.